Welcome to episode 115 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started. Uh, so for my first topic, I was actually pre-briefed on this, but uh, this week, AT&T and Corning announced a tie-up, and it's aimed at bolstering fiber optic cable supply. And so what does this mean for 5G deployment? Well, obviously um, for, for backhaul, fiber is uh, the best solution. And I've spoken about AT&T's fiber first strategy. Um, they are uh, investing, uh, you know, it's a twofold uh, capability for them. One, it drives significant ARPU for their, for their broadband business, which is over $10 billion in, in top line revenue and obviously supports its, uh, its 5G backhaul. But some of the details on, on this announcement, I mean, basically Corning is opening a new facility in Arizona. It's in Gilbert, Arizona. I believe Gilbert is where they have all the, the minor league uh, near Goodyear, like all the minor league baseball parks. You and I are big base, baseball fans. So thought I'd mention that. Um, currently their, their fiber plan is in North Carolina and Corning is the uh, top supplier of fiber optic cable. So putting it in Arizona makes sense just from a from a kind of a bi-coastal perspective. So um, they they expect the new plant to open in 2024, and it allowed about a 250 jobs. Um, in concert with that, AT&T also announced plans that they're going to build a new fiber internet network in Mesa. It's going to supply over 100,000 homes, uh, and they expect to have that build out complete by 2023. No dates established there. But it is actually significant because it's AT&T's first fiber network in the state of Arizona. So from, from my perspective, um, you know, given all the supply chain constraints uh, that, that we're seeing, companies like Sienna have recently reported uh, poor earnings based on uh, supply chain issues. And um, obviously that company is a big player in, in fiber optic cable build out. So I think this is fantastic, but what are your thoughts? Saw the um the news that it, it the uh Corning facility would be uh deploying AT and T five G yeah um and that you know it would be kind of like a another um smart manufacturing facility um you know it's interesting because Corning does a lot of things other than just make fiber optics yeah right? they make glass for all kinds of specialized purposes um so it's you know it's 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 a key component in a lot of things. Um, and I think it's important to have, you know, cutting edge uh, manufacturing facilities in the US as supply chain becomes more and more challenging. So yeah, um, yeah, I think this is a positive thing uh, for both companies. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it starts, it's starting to sound like, you know, these 5G deployments inside factories are becoming more of the usual mm -hmm. rather than the exception. Yeah. You know, I've, I've spoken to this on past podcasts, but, you know, I believe, you know, well over, you know, half of the, the total addressable market for private cellular will be within manufacturing, to your point, uh, for smart operations, robotic control, you know, any sort of tactile um, type operation. And this announcement just furthers uh, AT&T's commitment to um, having a fiber first strategy. So I think it's super solid and we'll continue to monitor that. And if things, you know, progress, we'll report back. But let's move to your first topic this week. We've talked about reliance in the past and in the Indian market. 
Um, you want to share some details on their 5G standalone network deployment. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, it's giving me flashbacks to their 4G rollout. Yeah. Um, basically, you know, during the uh, the big um, AGM that uh, Reliance has, which is like their big shareholder meeting, yeah. Um, yeah. the CEO basically, you know, gives like his state of the union for the company over the next year. And um, one of the big things he said is that they're going to invest $25 billion dollars as a single oh. company to roll out their 5G network across India, um, which is a considerable amount of money. Yes. You consider that, you know, like um, they, they plan to have nationwide coverage by the end of 2023. Um, so, you know, they're going to obviously deploy in highly dense areas first, um, you know, big population centers and then move outward. Um, but this is a standalone 5G network. So, they will not be using um, NSA, um, which, like I said, gives me flashbacks to their 4G network, which was also not dependent on 3G whatsoever and yeah. actually allowed them to, um, you know, I think, grow a lot faster than their competitors. Yeah. Um, and it allowed them to deploy new use cases faster. So, yeah. um, you know, I think this will be really interesting to see how it rolls out, um, how much coverage and how many... Um, users they're able to potentially serve with, by the end of 2023. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they say that it has the potential of connecting up to 100 million homes uh, with fixed broadband as well. So um, there's a lot of things that I think are riding on this network. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it will, you know, I think it will be limited in scope. Um, even by the end of 2023, I think there's probably a limited number of users they can reach um, until they start, you know, deploying things like satellite 5G and um, other types of broad coverage technologies. Because mm -hmm. um, while Reliance has a lot of different spectrum, um, none of that spectrum, I think, will necessarily serve rural areas particularly well yeah. um, because it's just India is a huge country yeah. um, and there's going to be a lot of dead zones um there probably still are with 4g so uh, you know my expectations with 5g are, are pretty similar that you know you're going to get lots of coverage in, in populous populous centers and then it probably drops off pretty quickly and it'll take time to build that out but mm -hmm. um it's still very ambitious it's a lot of money um yeah. and i think you know they've already signed a lot of the agreements that are necessary to get the equipment that they need to make this happen yeah, you know, I'm really surprised at the price tag um, because if you think about that market in ARPU to to retire that 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 NRE and that 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 capital expense, I mean that's that's a tidy sum. Um, obviously, they've been very focused. You know, they they've had the flexibility with their LTE greenfield deployment to do things with you know disaggregated RAN and that sort of thing. Um, so for them to go straight to standalone um, is super aggressive. Um, I think it might also be um, a competitive, you know, uh, you know, ploy, if you want to call it that, or strategy to sort of, you know, um, you know, outsmart, outbest the, their competitors because the, the mobile market, the mobile network uh, operator market in India is quite competitive. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this progresses. So. But let's move to my second topic this week. And uh, we actually have bookend topics here for both of our second. 
We're going to talk about the recent 2.5 gigahertz auction. I want to talk about Verizon. And uh, our friend Mike Dano at Light Reading, he published an article this week. And um, the subject was, you know, did Verizon accidentally spend $1.5 million on 2.5 gigahertz spectrum assets? And so that appears to be what has happened. Um, many analysts, including myself, have concluded that this was probably Verizon's attempt to try to um, spike the price up for T-Mobile. And you're going to talk about T-Mobile in a moment. Um, but, you know, as, as you and I have talked about on prior podcasts, that didn't happen. I mean, this, this auction landed at a, a fairly reasonable level, you know, and what's interesting, <laughs> Verizon ended up with 12 licenses across uh, nine uh, counties. And it's really weird because it was very widely dispersed. Um, it's also strange because Verizon isn't deploying in the 2.5 gigahertz band as well. So uh, clearly, uh, you know, and then there was an attempt for them to, you know, to kind of claw this back because as we've discussed, um, these operators that participate in these auctions have to put down pretty uh, hefty sums of money uh, from a deposit perspective. But it was clear because, you know, AT&T only put down a thousand that they, they weren't really going to, you know, seriously participate in, in the auction because they've shored up their, their mid-band licenses pretty, pretty well with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, the 110 spectrum and that sort of thing. But what are your thoughts? Um, you know, not surprised this happened. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of one of those auctions where somebody holds up a paddle accidentally <laughs> um, and they end up buying something they didn't have any interest in because they were right. just running up the price. Right. Um, that's kind of the, you know, the, the mental image I have in my head. Um, you know, it, it's up to the operators, you know, to deploy whatever strategy they want um, to make you know, these auctions more expensive for their competitors. Um, this sounds like it could be a, a, a slight case of sour grapes considering how much Verizon paid for their spectrum. Right. And I'm, you know, probably not surprised that the, what they paid for that spectrum have probably had a lot to do with T-Mobile and AT&T bidding as well. Yeah. Um, that said, I think that auction was a much more competitive auction mm -hmm. um, between the three carriers than this was. And I think that's probably why Verizon tried to bid it up a bit um, yeah. because a lot of other analysts expected this to be in the billions of dollars to yeah. auction. Um, but you and I both agreed this was going to be a pretty um, low um, bid auction. I, I would have been surprised if, if this crossed $500 million. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you know, it, I was honestly 428 million is higher than I was expecting, but mm -hmm. um you know, a lot of these are rural rural um, licenses, so there are not that many people that are being served by each one. So, yeah. you know, per user, these are actually, you know, a lot more expensive um, than some of the other auctions that we've seen. So, um, you know, I'll do the math later on and see what, what the end, end result is, because I think we have to look and see how many, you know, users are in each county. But um, I would expect that these licenses are fairly expensive just because they're not very populous areas. And I think it's kind of unfortunate that someone like Verizon might want to try and drive up the cost of, you know, covering yeah. rural users when it's already, the economics of it are already quite poor. Yeah. No, and you already started kind of addressing, you know, your bookend to this topic. Um, it was like 91%, right, of the of the licenses T-Mobile captured, right? Yeah. So the, I'll, you know, we'll just kind of wind into mine. Um, so the auction closed at $428 million. Yeah. T-Mobile got something in the ballpark of like 7,100 
for 7,200 of all 8,000 licenses, um, which puts them about 91% of all licenses. Mm -hmm. um, so T-Mobile alone is paying $300 million um, out of the $400 million in this auction, meaning that the remaining $100 million were 9% of the other licenses, um, which means that those were probably the most competitive ones. Um, and it's possible that, you know, T-Mobile had some competitive ones as well. But uh, yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, out of that auction, some of that's also Verizon's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 1.5 million worth for sure. Cool. Well, let's move to my third and final topic for this Labor Day weekend special podcast. So I want to talk about Ericsson and they, they've launched a new triple band 5G radio. And I want to share what, what's compelling about that. So this is their radio 6646. Sounds like a Van Halen or a Van Hagar uh, album. <laughs> um, but what's significant is Ericsson claims that it's capable of doing the job of nine radios while cutting energy consumption by 40%. And it weighs 60% uh, less than comparable solutions. And that's significant, right? So power, um, form factor, um, it's quite compelling. So the, the specs on it are, it's low band. So it's 900, 800 and 700 megahertz frequency bands. And you can do carrier aggregation. And the other uh, thing to note is that, um, and you, you know, you're you're pretty technical, and you you kind of dig uh, dig into this sort of stuff. But the 700 megahertz band, and I didn't know this until um, I caught the news. Um, it's they, you know, it's you know, it's well positioned for 5G standalone use. Um, and I would love for you to to share your your perspective on why that's the case, because that was that was something that I learned. So um, what's interesting is, first of all. Uh, you said this is a low band, um, you know, deployment. Yeah. What's interesting is a lot of the Ericsson announcements we've seen, um, they, you know, first of all, they're all, a lot of them are focused on power consumption. Yeah. Um, and I think th these ones they're claiming are 40%, uh, you know, reduction in power consumption and 60% reduction in weight, yeah. um, which I think is a big deal because, um, these are pretty big elements, you know, the lower the frequency, the larger the element has to be. Um, and I, I think when it comes to um, this specific band with 700, um, you know, it, it's, it's really good for enabling coverage. Um, I, obviously 600 is better, yeah, um, yeah. but 700 is like, you know, globally harmonized as a coverage band. Okay. Um, and 600 isn't, even though 600 is going to be a much better um, propagating band for that. Mm -hmm. um, but these are also, you know, smaller blocks of frequency. Um, so you're not really going to want to use them for throughput. Um, and primarily, you're going to want to have these bands for uplink. Yeah. Um, and since, you know, having 700 megahertz, um, if you allocate enough to the uplink, um, you get you know, good coverage on 700, it actually improves your coverage on a lot of the mid bands um, that you would aggregate with it, you know, with standalone. So yeah. um, we could see improved standalone <laughs> coverage um, with 700 megahertz being leveraged as the, you know, uplink carrier. Yeah. Um, so that way, you know, people get better battery life, better coverage yeah. and, and better overall performance on all their bands. 
Yeah, I just found it was interesting that, you know, Ericsson's positioning this, you know, is ideally suited for, you know, for SA deployments, obviously. With That's that, why, for, yeah. as a carrier aggregation play. Yeah, um, there you go. Kind of using the low band as the uplink to yeah. send yeah. the coverage of the downlink. Yeah, and I'll also mention, too, that um, in, the, in the announcement, Telefonica is actually um, using this new radio. And so... It'll be interesting to, you know, kind of keep tabs on Telefonica and their experience with that. And if, you know, things develop, report back on a future podcast. But with that, um, let's uh, let's round it out and hit your third and final topic. And I caught this this week, uh, but ARM is suing Qualcomm and you want to share your perspective on what's going on there. Yeah, so it's a very interesting situation because Qualcomm is easily one of ARM's biggest customers. Yeah. Um, you know, they have one of the deepest license agreements um, possible with ARM. Um, they have custom core architecture licenses. They have semi-custom core architecture. They've got full IP. Um, so, you know, they've, they've, they're, they're one of biggest, ARM's biggest customers. And um, it, basically, Qualcomm went out and acquired Nuvia, yeah. um, which is a CPU design startup for ARM cores. Um, and ARM is suing Qualcomm and Nuvia simultaneously, even though Nuvia is already, a, you know, a, uh, an absorbed entity of Qualcomm. Yeah. Um, and they're saying that Qualcomm did not get permission to transfer Nuvia's uh, ARM license, um, which is an interesting problem because, um, you know, there's, there's going to be some contractual, you know, um, arguments about whether or not Qualcomm needs to transfer Nuvia's ARM license um, when they already hold one and right. arguably a much larger, more encompassing license. Yeah. Um, and ARM, ARM is also suing them for using the ARM trademark, which is a weird one. I have a feeling that's also like a contractual transferal agreement thing. Um, but what I think interest is it really fundamentally interesting here is um, a lot of companies are already kind of questioning the state of ARM um, because right. of the uh, originally intended acquisition of ARM by NVIDIA. Right. Um, so a lot of companies, once that happened, started to take RISC-V a lot more seriously. Um, and I think that this lawsuit by ARM is only going to push more vendors in the direction of risk five. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a big reason for that is um, I, I don't really think ARM needed to sue Qualcomm here. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the reason why they did um, has a lot more to do with all the things that are happening in the background um, around Nuvia and yeah. how, um, you know, Samsung signed a new agreement with Qualcomm, deepening its relationship with Qualcomm right. um, across more categories and absorbing more Qualcomm SOCs within their existing categories. So that is a big deal because Samsung is a licensee of ARM. And if they are no longer licensing ARM cores, um, they're just buying them from Qualcomm and Qualcomm starts making Nuvia cores, that's less licensing revenue for ARM. So exactly. um, if Qualcomm continues to absorb more customers that originally were, you know, doing uh, ARM licenses, uh, this could be something that could have triggered something like this. Um, and I think that, you know, there is definitely some strained relationship um, 
between ARM and Qualcomm that yeah. I think a lot of people maybe haven't seen. But I do think the acquisition of Nuvia is a big part of that because, um, you know, there's a lot of rumors that Qualcomm went out and bought Nuvia because they, you know, they weren't necessarily uh, pleased with the performance that ARM was giving them in their cores. Yeah. Um, and Nuvia is supposed to be much better, uh, yeah. according to a lot of people. And if it is better than ARM and faster and can actually compete with Apple, then that kind of, um, you know, makes ARM and a lot of its partners look bad. So yeah. um, it's it's a very complicated political scenario, but um, ultimately it comes down to the fact that Nuvia is supposed to be a very competitive product um, and it's going to, you know, potentially bring Qualcomm back into the server market as well, which is another thing that uh, I think people should consider is, you know, ARM has a very big um, growth opportunity with servers um, yeah. that they're starting to realize this year after many years of trying. And, you know, if Nuvia is faster on the server side as well, um, that might also be a reason why ARM, you know, might be trying to squash this. Yeah. And um, in the complaint, they actually explicitly state that they want to be destroy certain Nuvia designs. They use the word destroy. So <laughs> um, I think that this is very much about Nuvia's competitiveness with ARM's cores more than anything else. Yeah, I think that's great insight. But um, I, you know, the other th other thought that came to my mind is that you know with you know with that acquisition deal off and ARM trying to you know make itself look pretty for an IPO, um, is this a way to signal to the market that they have intellectual property that is valuable? You know, so I, I like you said, it, there's there are a lot of politics involved in all of this, and I'm sure the story will will continue to go on, but. Hey, it's been another great podcast this uh, Labor Day weekend. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whale Tom Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.